The year 1953, a plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Josh Ersam and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This episode is on the band One Dollar Short and their song Satellite. Our special guest is the band's guitarist and songwriter Trent Crawford. I found a photo of us today, the memories they came flooding back, blowing out birthday candles. I was just a superman and you were a shining star, we would have only One Dollar Short's melodic brand of punk rock saw them top the alternative singles and album charts in the early 2000s. They also had some success on the mainstream Aria charts. The band's music featured on soundtracks to many extreme sports videos and surf movies of the day. Their brand of high-energy pop punk made them crowd favourites at festivals, with the lads appearing at the Big Day Out, Livid, Homebake and on the Warped Tour. One Dollar Short also achieved international success in Japan, which saw them undertake a national Japanese tour. Originally, the band came together at the suggestion of frontman Scotty Woods. So, the story goes, Scotty Woods um, used to work at HMV at Erin Affair. Any Central Coast locals would, would know the spot. And basically, me and Michael, the drummer, we had a band going called 976 Moto, but we didn't have a singer. So we'd just go to the local rehearsal studio at West Gosford. We'd write songs and rehearse and whatever. And One Dollar Short was already a band, and they were rehearsing in the room next door. And as it turned out, Scotty uh, wanted Mick, because Mick's a freaking amazing drummer. And But Scotty was playing guitar at the time. And then Mick sort of basically said to him, look, you can, um, I'm keen, but, you know, it's a package deal. comes with Trent. And um, that's how it came about. So that's, that's how me and Mick joined the band. So the band, I don't know how long they were together, maybe six months. I'm going to guess, before me and Mick joined. ODS, as they soon became known to their fans, in true punk do-it-yourself fashion, started out playing at parties in suburban backyards, cramming in as many songs as they could before the police would turn up and close down the party. A huge thing for us in the early days was Sufitem. Remember the bodyboarding videos? And we, um, I hope I got that right, there was a local bodyboarding um, video that used our like the early songs off um from the start and we played a, a party of his at Wombrel was on the main drag there near Wombie Whoppers and um and before that show we, was, we were just doing you know playing just wherever we could to whoever was there no one knew the band that was the first time that I remember we turned up and was like oh my god like there's like hundreds of people here to see the band and I. From memory, I think that show lasted maybe six or seven songs and got shut down, you know, police and all that sort of stuff, because it was basically in a house. But that, from then, that, that was, yeah, a huge boost for us, being part of the surfing, you know, the bodyboarding video culture. The band played high-energy, fast-paced music that suited the ever-growing extreme sports scene. 
It was when the X Games were fresh and ODS were one of the main Australian bands that appealed to this scene. We were very, very lucky, you know. To I think a big part of it too is we were at the right time when skateboarding, you know, motocross, snowboarding, that culture was exploding and that music was all part of it, you know. So that was a, it just it was just like the perfect storm. And we were uh, yeah, lucky enough to be in the right spot at the right time and rode the wave. Recording a demo and shopping it around, the band was signed to the Rapido label and they released their debut EP from the start. The band's lineup consisted of vocalist Scotty Woods, guitarist Trent Crawford and Tim Flaherty, Adam Check on bass and drummer Michael Smith. In March 2001, $1 Short had their first taste of ARIA mainstream chart success with the release of their single, Board Games. Yeah, that was, yep, yeah, for sure. That was a um, always a uh, fan favourite in the set, you know, all the way to the very end. I do remember doing that. That was the first time we did a film clip was that um, board game film clip in it. Um, Tim Flaherty, who was in the band at the time, worked at Channel 9 and we got into Channel 9 studios there and did that, the white background thing. And I always used to think, being, you know, before we did that stuff, thinking, oh, do you want a film clip? This is going to be awesome. I can't wait. But you literally, it's like you start at 8 a.m. and you finish at, you know, 11 p.m. And you're like, how many more times do you need us to play this song? Like, surely. But every film clip's the same, you know? And then it doesn't take long to get sick of making film clips. punk rock world first and foremost you need the right sound and then of course you need the right look the lead singer of the band was the colossal scotty woods with plenty of piercings and highly inked he cut an imposing figure on stage he was a truly commanding presence a lot of it's got to do with scott like scotty was is he's such a great um such a great front man like he was he was awesome everyone sort of had their job but he was really really good at um just connecting with the people and you know making them feel a part of it and there's obviously a lot of energy coming off stage from the the band but um i'd have to put that one down to to mr scotty woods if you're listening out there good work mate 
and he's such one of the one of the sweetest guys. Like um, he like he was a security guard at you know some point, so he could handle himself. But he never ever you know went looking for trouble or whatever. But I remember one time we're in Perth, we're touring with Gyroscope. It was after the show, you know, we're out at his club and having fun. And this big, like, big Tong guy, he was huge. And he was um, he was causing trouble. And it's the only time I've ever seen it. But Scotty pulled out his, uh, you know, I don't know what karate or jiu-jitsu or whatever he does and just handled this guy. And it was just like, oh, my God. You know, because to that point, we were kind of like, oh, really, Scotty? Are you re- can you really do that? And then that, yeah, that moment was like, woo. The next single released was Is This The Part? And it gained plenty of attention. The band's debut album was titled Eight Days Away. It was released in 2002 and the album reached number seven on the ARIA charts. Triple J had supported the band and ODS was now receiving airplay on the commercial stations such as the Triple M radio network and their fan base was continuing to grow. That was like a huge moment. Um, Is this the part when that song took off and got grabbed by radio and whatnot? So we were playing, I don't know, say Annandale's and... I don't, you know, like say they were 300 capacity or whatever, playing those sort of venues. But then when that came out, we had a shot at the Annandale and the difference was just enormous in numbers. And even the fans, like there were different, because you had your hardcore punk rock people that, you know, um, were always a part of it. But then that, that radio play brought in this other sort of fan base. Um, so it just was growing and growing. Um, and... The, the singing at the shows, like you'd play that song and the crowd was, you know, singing every word and way louder than 
what Scotty was on stage, and it was just like um, that feeling. You can't. That's you know nothing compares to that. That was yeah, especially the first time. You know, in the early days when that happens, you're just like, oh my god, what is happening? You know, and it really smacks you in the face the first time. It's just like, whoa, what's happening? You know, like how do they know this song? You know. A band can really say they've made it when they get the call up to sit on the couch and host Rage. Many a young fan has dreamed of being the guest programmers for the night. As a young kid who grew up watching Rage, it ranks up there as one of the career highlights for Trent. Oh yeah, that was fun. I wish I could, or maybe it is available online, I'll have to have a look. But um, oh, it was awesome. They basically just give you a telephone book of all the songs. So we all got to pick, I think, 10 songs each sort of thing. Um. And it was super cool. Yeah, yeah, super fun to do, sitting on the couch. And they still do it to this day. Yeah, I'll have to go back and have a look. It'd be fun to watch again. But yeah, no, that was, yeah, that was a huge highlight for sure. When the band covered a song by Australia's Queen of Country, Casey Chambers, Not Pretty Enough, they certainly got tongues wagging. The country-loving Casey fans may not have been overly impressed, but for those who like a bit of mosh with their music, it was another winner from the band. So this came about, I must have been out 2001, one maybe I'm going to guess I heard Casey Chambers for the first time on the radio which was not pretty enough and for whatever reasons everyone's got their own version of this her voice just hit me like a ton of bricks like the hairs stood up on the back of my neck the whole and I was what is this I need like you know and from that moment she's been one of my all-time favorite artists like I abs like barricades and brick walls that record is my on my top three you know I still listen to it regularly Absolutely love that record. So I fell in love with her music. Um, and, and I actually, if I skip forward, I've got a song I wrote with Casey on her later. Uh, well, she just brought out a brand new record, but her record, Bittersweet. So, the, you know, for me back then, hearing her on the radio for the first time to think I'm going to write a song with her and have it on a record was like, nah, that's not going to happen. So that was a, a huge highlight for me. So but getting back to the song there, so I had the, um, I can't remember how it happened, but I obviously brought the idea to the band. I said, we should do a cover, you know, like, and what about this, you know, not pretty enough. And they, no, they all laughed and thought I was joking. I was like, no, seriously, like, let's just try it. I reckon it'll really, it'll really work. And we played it and I don't think they could um, deny it. It just, you know, translated really well into that, that style. Um, and I think Scotty was a little bit sus on singing, am I not pretty enough, you know, but he's a pretty good looking guy. So... 
Um, Oki pulled it off. He pulled it off um, in more ways than one. But, um, yeah, that's how it come about. And then that became a, a huge crowd favourite as well, which I was very happy about. I was happy to play that song. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of Not Pretty Enough. In the 2000s, the festival scene in Australia was pumping. ODS played at all the major festivals, including the Big Day Out, Livid, Homebake, and on the Warped Tours. We did Big Day Out uh, in Melbourne. Oh, I can't know what year it was, but it was Alien Ant Farm and No Effects played that year. That was the only Big Day Out we, we played. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you what year. I'm, I'm really bad with that sort of stuff. But I get, it would have been around about the, um, the album time, 2002, something like that. Um, but yeah, that was a trip, you know, big day out. It was huge. One, the thing that comes straight to my mind is um, Livid Festival, once again, I couldn't tell you the year, but it was the Bali bombings, the year of the Bali bombing. So, and it just so happened we were playing inside the Horden and it was, they had to shut the doors. It was like however many people that is. And it just so happened during the day that that was, they were going to do like a tribute like a minute silence um, during the day and it happened to land in the middle of our set. And I remember like it was just jam-packed, like whatever there was, 6,000 people or something. And um, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't going to go down good. Like there's, there's going to be some idiot out there that's going to, you know. But yeah, standing on stage um, for a minute, dead quiet, 
with that many people and you're on stage and everyone's looking at you, that was heavy. That was like, oh, man. But it came off, you know, everyone was totally respectful of it and um, the rest of the show was huge. A career highlight for the band came when they toured Japan. The band undertook a nationwide tour, rocking the land to the rising sun. You take it for granted and then you go to a different country. So we went to Japan in, I think it was 2004, and same thing. So you, you're in this different country. It's just absolutely amazing. And, you, you know, you're sort of pinching yourself going, how is this? How do we start this little band? And we're playing, you know, to these awesome shows in Japan. And same thing, the whole crowd, is, they're singing every word. And then you kind of get lost and you forget you're in a different country. So after the show, you go out to the merch desk or whatever, and you want to try and connect with the fans and talk to them. But they don't talk English. So it's just like, oh my God, but you, you don't speak English, but you sing all the words of our songs in English, but we can't have a community you know, conversation. That was a real moment. It was like, oh, wow. So yeah, it's a, a powerful thing. ODS continued to deliver the goods and they had another hit with the release of the single Satellite. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the, you know, from what I can tell, that's the song. Like when people think of $1 short, that's the, the main song, you know, um, we pretty much used to finish every show with it. It was, yeah, it was the, the hit, so to speak. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. Thanks to Trent for your time, and thanks to One Dollar Short for the music. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions, written and produced by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kip. And presented by Josh Urson. This is Molly Kidd saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, Hit it, girl! <laughs>